So if you've been here before, you notice we have these snazzy little clips there that are holding the cards so they're not like going crazy on the floor. Um, and so we're hoping that as you look at that little clip and see that little card that you're going to take one of those off. You're going to fill that out, especially if you're new and, and you're a first-time guest, because we would love to know that you were here. We'd love to keep in contact with you about what's coming up. We'd also like to invite you to dinner with a family, especially uh, if you are brand new this month, okay? So if you're a new person who's come this month, the month of September, uh, there's about 20 families that have said, we would love to host a few of those kinds of people that are brand new in September, all right? So the way you get in on one of those meals is you tick the little RSVP box here on the right card, okay? You put your name, information, so that we can reach out to you and say, family so-and-so or working single person so-and-so is going to host in their home. Here's when it's going to be, and they'll reach out to you on email, okay? So if you're new this, this month, you should fill that out and, and let us know so that we can welcome you uh, to Mercy House. All right, we are doing the sermon series, Path to Paradise, and we've been through a, a couple of, of weeks here, and we've found that we were actually created in and for paradise. That was last week. Looked at Genesis, a little bit of Genesis 1 and 2, and we found that God was at the center of that paradise, that he was the creator, sustainer of everything, the infinite source of love and truth and justice, and that everything orbiting around God as the center, as the as this authority. And we said that, um, that the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in that created order, we said it was, it was like a covenant, right? And a covenant is an agreement that God makes with human beings that results in relationship. And so that first covenant that he makes with them, we, we, I called it the covenant of commencement last week, and then I went back to my notes, and, and I was like, I got that wrong. So uh, I want to call that the covenant of creation, all right? So this first initial perfect created order, God in relationship with human beings. And as we looked at that, I think all of us would agree that is not the world we live in now. We don't live in paradise. We long for it but we don't live in it. And the question is, what happened? Why don't we live in Genesis 1 and 2? And the reason is, is what happens in Genesis 3, what you just heard read. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at what spoiled paradise, what were the ongoing ramifications of that, and what is God's plan for putting us back into paradise. All that's in Genesis chapter 3. So what happened what was the ongoing ramifications of that? And what's God's plan for putting us back? So here's some short answers to those questions. Uh, what happened to spoil paradise? Sin. Sin. That's what happened. What were the ongoing ramifications of, of that sin that was committed? Death. What's God's plan for getting us back to paradise? Birth. Okay? Sin, death, birth. End of sermon. Let's go home. No, no, not letting you off that easy. Okay, so let's talk about each of those. What happened to paradise, right? What happened? Sin. So in this initial covenant that God makes with human beings, he, he is initiating a lot, like, like he creates the whole universe, 
Like, he creates human beings. I mean, talk about initiation, right? And, and he's doing this to, to, to set up this situation where human beings are dwelling with God, right? And there are some terms for this agreement, right? And this is kind of the third piece of, of covenant making, right? There's an agreement. There are it results in relationship, but there are terms. And so the terms in Genesis 2 are... Uh, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is the command. There's one command. (laughs) Don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's more than just a rule. I've said this before, but the breaking of God's rules, his commands, is more than just breaking some silly rule. It's the breaking of relationship, that, that those are tied together. I talked to uh, a, a man this past week who uh, he had caught his wife flirting uh, in email and text with another man. And what he was saying was not, she broke the rule. We had a rule that you don't flirt with people other than your spouse, and she broke it. He was like, I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Like, that's probably not the appropriate uh, response. Uh, murder, I, I wouldn't recommend it. But why was he so mad? Well, because she broke relationship with him. And God oftentimes uses adultery to even use as an illustration of the breaking of his commands, the breaking of his rules. Because it's not just a rule, it's a relationship. And so th- this, is, this is partly what he's describing to them. He's like, if, if you break this command, you're removing yourself from a relationship with the one who is life. Like, he gives life. And if you disconnect yourself from me by breaking this command, you will die. The Hebrew uh, grammar there is, you will die, die. Like twice. <laughs> and so it's a very serious, very sober warning that if you disconnect yourself from me, the, the one who gave you life, you're going to die, die. You're going to experience um, death. Now, what is death? Um, death in, in the scriptures, uh, it, it, it means separation. It means separation. And a physical death is a separation, right? It's the body and the soul disintegrating. They're, they're, they're pulling apart. And so you still got the physical body there, but the body's not alive. Why not? Because the soul has been um, separated, right? Why is that soul being separated from the body? Because of sin, right? But that's not the only thing that death speaks to. It also speaks to this, the separation of the human and their own selves. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. It also speaks to the separation between humans and humans, It also speaks to separation between human and God. And it speaks to the separation of human and the earth. All those relationships, because of sin, break down. They separate. And that, in a word, is death. So, you're like, okay. They were told, you do this, you die, die. Why they even consider the choice to break the command? Well, enter the serpent. Now, Snakes aren't bad, okay? God made snakes. God said everything was good, right? So it's not about reptiles and reptiles being bad or anything like that. But, but 
for some, some reason, God's allowing Satan, the one who is really behind this, and we know this from other parts of the scriptures that, that would back this up. Even in the book of Revelation, it talks about Satan being the serpent in the, in the garden. And so Satan is a fallen angel. So there's been a heavenly fall. I don't have time to go into that. We'd be here for a long time. But there's been a heavenly fall, and now in Genesis 3, we're watching the earthly fall. And so Satan has already rebelled against God. He's experienced this die-die, and now he is going to invite human beings into that as well. And if they want to take this path of paradise lost, they can now die-die as well. Um, But make no mistake, this is no dualism. This is no good and evil fighting it out, and they're equally powerful. I mean, even in this text, it's like the serpent was more crafty than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Like God made the serpent. I mean, he is sovereign over all these things, and he made Satan, right? I mean, Martin Luther, he says that even the devil is God's devil, and what he means by that is there would be no devil if it wasn't for God the creator. Now that said, what we also see in this text is God is not the originator of sin and evil. That's partly what we're reading in Genesis 3. God's not, the, he does not generate sin and evil. Satan does that. Human beings do that. And so this is a test. This is a test. And God has allowed this test to occur where human beings will have the opportunity to either remain in relationship with the one who will give them life or to disconnect themselves. A little bit like scuba divers underwater that get tired of those big heavy tanks on their back, you know, and they're just like, I just want to get away from these heavy tanks. And so I'm going to blow these off and just get rid of this, and I'm just going to swim around for the next hour underwater. Like, no. That's a bad idea. Don't do that if you're a scuba diver, right? Like, like, like they are, are connected to life, right? And so Satan is, is offering them this path to paradise lost. So how does he do it? Genesis 3, also verse 1, he says to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, the serpent is tempting Eve to step away from God as her center. And he, even by asking that question, he's beginning to kind of erode this idea that God is the center. And he's saying, you know, we could have a conversation about whether God is true or not. Let's just vet some of the things that he's been saying. And, and he's also saying that God's not good. He's saying, God, God's holding out on you, Eve. There's some good things that, that, I mean, think about it. He told you that you can't eat any of the fruit on any of the trees, which is a total lie, right? Like he's trying to overemphasize the strictness of God's prohibition, right? And, and she's like, ah, uh, yeah, no, no, that's not what he said. Now, it's interesting, she's, she's already shifting from God as her uh, center. Uh, she should have said, wait a minute, serpent, I'm, I'm in dominion over you. You're not in dominion over me. You, you don't lead me. I lead you, right? Get out of my face, right? 
And how dare you? Talk about the center of the universe like that? I mean, he made us. He sustains this whole universe. When you see that, you see that moon? Like, he made that. Like, what, what are you thinking? Like, get out of my face. But that's not what she does. She, she engages. And she's like, no, no, he didn't tell us that we shouldn't eat from all the trees. He just told us not to eat from one tree. And if we eat from that one tree, we'll die. And he told us not to touch it, which is not true. He doesn't tell them not to touch it. Now, is that a good rule to put on yourself? Yeah, that's a good rule. Like, if we eat that tree, we die. Let's just stay away from that. Let's just not even touch it, right? Let's just put some do not cross tape around it. And like, but, that's, but she's equating that with God's word. She's the first legalist. She's the first legalist, right? She, she's adding to the word of God and then equating what she's just added as the word of God. And so already she's shifting away from God as her center. And when God ceases to be her center, that is not enough to keep her from falling to temptation. Just fear of consequences, it's not enough. And so Satan knows that. Satan knows he's got her. He's got her. So he shifts from subtly questioning God to all-out contradiction. Verse 4, he says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He uses the same grammatical construction. You will not surely die, die. He knows exactly what God said. And he contradicts him squarely uh, in that verse 4. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here again, he's questioning God's goodness. He's saying, God's holding out on you. He says he's good, and yeah, he's made this good universe, and it's pretty awesome, but he's just not that good. I'm just telling you, he's holding out on you, and you will not surely die, die. He's not telling you the truth. Now, there's a lot of irony here. So one, a, an animal is ruling over a human. Don't let that be lost on you. Things are starting to flip upside down already. Humans were given dominion over the creation, and now creation is, 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 is exhibiting some kind of dominion over uh, human beings. Adam and Eve are already like God. They were already uniquely created by God to be his, his image bearers. They're already like God. They aren't God, but they are like God. And their, their eyes are going to be, you know, opened to good and evil. Well, they already know good. That's, that's what they already know. They know what good is. It's just that they don't know what evil is. They've never experienced it. They may know, they, under, they can understand it as in, you know, don't break a command that's evil, but they've never been in a universe where evil has taken up residence. It's sort of, sort of like an offer to take a hit of heroin, right? You're like, you've never known what it's like to have to take heroin. You should do it. Like, uh-uh, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know what it's like to take heroin. To take heroin. I don't need to know it. I don't want to die, die, right? I'm going to stay away from that. I don't need to experience that. But she is being tempted to step into that uh, temptation there. Um, <clears throat> we may ask ourselves, you know, how could Adam and Eve do this? Like, how could they turn away from the good God and believe the, the lies of, of Satan? 
We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Every time we sin, every time we go against God's commands, that's what we're doing. Right? Every time we hoard our resources and refuse to be generous, we're believing the lie that God is not good. He is not generous. He is not my provider. That I have to be my sole provider. I cannot be generous. I've got to be in survival mode all the time. That's a lie. That's a lie. We're believing that over and against God. Or we act out sexually in ways that are not consistent with God's design for sexuality. We're saying, God, you don't know it better. Your word is wrong on how people should live their lives sexually. And what is good is not what you say in, in your word. What's good is what I say, right? We're, we're, we're believing a lie. We're, we're rejecting what God is saying to us. Uh, when we refuse to pray or we refuse to rest or we refuse to involve ourselves in the mission of God, right? And we say, well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Yeah, I know the Bible says I should pray, but, but I'm just too busy. What are we, what are we doing? Right? We're, 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 we're believing these lies over and against what God has said. And they take the hit, right? They take the hit. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice how it describes how she's drawn in after he uh, convinces her that she's not going to die. And then she's like, ooh, that fruit looks really good. Good for food. It's also beautiful. It's delightful in its appearance. And it's also going to give me some enlightenment. Like my life is going to be lived better if I disobey this command that God has, has given me. It's a paradise. That's what she thinks. Now she's living in paradise, thinking that there's some other paradise and longing for that, for that uh, paradise or being convinced that there's something even better. And so she takes a shortcut to paradise, which is what all temptation is. It's a shortcut to paradise, or so you think. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says, temptation comes to me suggesting a possible shortcut to the realization of my highest goal. It does not direct me toward what I understand to be evil, but toward what I understand to be good. Temptation is something that confuses me for a while, and I don't know whether something is right or wrong. I think this is something of what Eve is experiencing. She's convinced that it's going to be good, even though I'm being tempted to break a command of God. Later, he uh, Chambers writes, when I yield to it, I've made lust a God. And the temptation itself becomes the proof that it was only my own fear that prevented me from failing, falling into the sin earlier. And so what he's saying there is, is that God is, is not the, the center of this person who is giving in to temptation, right? And the belief is, is, is that the consequences aren't really going to be that bad. And so the reason that, that they're falling to it is because now the only thing that matters is whether there's consequences or not consequences. And this is where Eve has gotten to. She's gotten to the place where she's believing the consequences aren't real and she's not thinking about who God is. Adam goes along with it. He's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. Scripture says he's with her. This is worse. This is really worse. 
I think the Apostle Paul would agree. 1 Timothy 2, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Seems to indicate that Adam knew that this was a breaking of the command, this is not good, but he doesn't do anything about it. And when she offers him the fruit, he takes it. Now, why does he do that? Uh, John Eldridge, who's a writer, he, he says uh, it's because at that moment he's worshiping the woman. He's worshiping the woman. Because he knows if he doesn't take that bite, he loses her. But he keeps God. And at that moment, he says, no God and yes, woman. And it's powerful, right? There's relationship there. There's intimacy there. But a willingness to step away from God to press into this relationship that requires him to disobey. God's not at the center for him either. And then what are the ramifications of this, right? Is it, is it just a little indigestion from some bad fruit? No, it's much more. Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. They experienced shame for the first time. Now, why are they experiencing shame? They're experiencing shame because they're guilty. Guilt and shame, they travel together, right? You're guilty, you did something wrong, you know you did something wrong, but there's more to the experience than just I did something wrong, I'm guilty, is that because I did something wrong, I know there's something wrong with me. That's shame. And so they, they want to cover themselves. There's an embarrassment, not just that they did something wrong, but of their selves, right? You know, when you... When you Little kids, when they're like one or two years old, they'll, they'll, after they get out of their bath, they'll just like run through the house totally naked, right? And you're like, wow, that's weird. But, but it's like a little glimpse of innocence, right? Because they're not worried about what anybody's thinking about their bodies. They're just like, you know, not like, oh my gosh, I'm a little fat and I don't want anyone to see. Like, like they're just like running and laughing and playing. And, and, and I just think this, is, this was Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. Right? They just have no shame. There's no insecurity. There's no fear. We don't know anything about what that world's like. We don't. And this, so the first thing is to start going down is this relationship between human and self. Now the human's outside themselves, and they're looking at themselves, and they're saying, you're, you're shameful. Right? You're guilty and you're shameful. Now, they, they are guilty, and they, it is a sh- it's shameful what they've just done, right? And so they, they, they're experiencing this, this fear and this shame. It gets worse. Genesis 3.8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this is the next separation between humans and God. So the, God comes into the garden to, to have a conversation with them. Evidently, this is something he did all the time. And they're running away from him. They're hiding from him in the bushes. They've never, they've never done this. They've, never, they've always run toward God. And now here they're running away from God. And, and it, it reminds me of, of kids when they get in trouble. So we've got three kids who are now grown, but when they were smaller and one of them have, would have done something that they shouldn't have done, they'd run into the room and they, and, and they would close the door and then you go up there to, to talk with them and you walk in and this is what they're doing. They've got their face in their pillow and they're doing this. And they're like, what's wrong? What's going on? They're like, I'm fine, Nothing. I'm like, well, you weren't hiding in your pillow at breakfast. I mean, something's going on here, right? 
And so here's Adam and Eve, like two kids, running in shame and guilt away from God. And what does God do? The Lord God called to the man. God, God steps toward them, even in their guilt and shame. And he calls to them, and he says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. That's the first mention of fear in the Bible right there. There's shame, there's fear. It says, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree with which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, very much like parenting little children. Right? They're hiding in their pillow, and you're asking them, is, is anything, did you do something? Like, your sister's downstairs, and she's bleeding, so I'm thinking something happened. Did something happen? Well, my brother made me, okay? He got me mad, and then I did it, and then this is Corey's fault, right? And it's like this blame shifting. And so here, not only do you see separation between human and self and human and God, now you see between humans and humans, right? This is death. This is the, these, these are the effects of sin. Um, it, whenever, I, I experience this many times, I'm talking to a husband and I say, hey, why don't you guys get involved with this small group or come to this event? And the husband's like, well, my wife, my wife, I don't think she would like to do it. I would, pastor. I'm a spiritual, mature husband. But my wife, you know, I'm being facetious, but it's, it's like a, an excuse, right? So if a few husbands are in here, don't do that, okay? Don't blame it on your wife, right? But this is what Adam's doing. He's deflecting. He's like, oh, that's not me. It's my wife. Or... Not only is it my wife, God, it's really you. You gave her to me. And so you see that separation between Adam and God as well. Now, there's also the separation between humans and the earth itself. I'm not going to talk too much about this, but the, the description of the relationship that humans have with the earth, the word is pain. It's pain. She says to Eve that, 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 that surely I will multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. He's saying that some, some of the consequences of, of this sin, some of the effects of sin is, is going to be that your domains, these things that you were supposed to rule over, they're going to rebel against you. And so these, this rearing and, and raising of children, it was going to be work even in the created order. It was going to be hard work. But now those children are going to be rebelling against you. And now you're going to have to rule and reign over little, little sinful uh, children. But then Adam, too, says, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it. Right? So, so, there's some good news and bad news there. The good news is they're still going to eat. God's still going to give them the mercy of provision from the earth. But it's going to be toil. You're not going to get a 100% result from your labor. There's going to be thorns and thistles. You can't eat thorns and thistles. Also, thorns and thistles are choking out the crop that you can eat. And so he, he, he's letting them know, even your relationship with the earth that you were supposed to be ruling and reigning over, that earth is going to be rebelling against you. This is part of the effects 
of sin. And the real kicker is you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The very ground they were supposed to be ruling and reigning over and stewarding is, is going to be ruling and reigning over them. It will swallow them up into the grave. Right? And so these are all the separations that occur. And paradise has been lost. And we don't have to look very far to find that, that, that we live in that same world of paradise lost. There's glimpses and glimmers of, of good things all around us. But everything seems to have been tainted somehow by, by sin. Right? And so thankfully there's also hope in Genesis 3 as well. God begins to reveal the remedy that he has for this horrific loss. Uh, we see it in the, the curse of the, of the serpent. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And so he's, he, he, notice that he curses the serpent and he curses the ground. He doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He doesn't curse them. He curses the ground where they have to live. He curses the serpent. And he says, you're cursed, serpent, and your curse is you're going to be on your belly and you're going to slither around in the dirt. Now, I don't think he changed the snake from having feet to not having feet. I, th I think he's saying, when you see that serpent and you see that serpent slithering around in the dirt, it, it should be a reminder of the ultimate defeat of Satan. Look at that snake just licking up the dirt. That's the, the future of Satan. He is going to be defeated. And how is he going to be defeated? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. How is he going to defeat Satan? Eve's offspring. Eve's offspring. Babies. Birth. That's, that's, that's the, the, the plan. Now, who are Eve's offspring and Satan's offspring? So what Satan's offspring are not is not snakes, Okay, that's not what his offspring are. It's not demons. Like demons don't come from, you know, reproduction. It's people. It's talking about two different groups of people. Those that are inside God's covenant community and those that are rejecting God and outside of his covenant community. And he's saying, I'm going to put enmity between what Satan is doing and what, who he is influencing and those that God is saving, right? And so, so the, here's a mercy for Eve because it looks like Eve is on team Satan. And he's letting Adam know Eve is not on team Satan. Eve's on team God. And even though she, she has made this choice and there are implications, big implications of this choice, she is on team God. And part of, not the only way, but part of how she is going to serve on Team God is she's going to bring godly offspring into this world. And so that, those offspring are going to bring the, the, the glorious kingdom of God into this fallen earth. But it's more than just a group of offspring. It's actually one offspring is going to come from her offspring, a he. And that he, that single person, he is going to experience a mortal wound from Satan. It's going to hit, he's going to bite his heel, which if it's a venomous snake, that's a, that's a mortal wound. But then somehow 
even though he's going to experience a mortal wound, he's also going to deliver a mortal blow to Satan. He is going to crush his head. If you want to kill a snake, that's how you kill a snake. You cut his head off. And that offspring is Jesus. This is the beginning of the path back to paradise. God is letting them know, even though this is one of the most hopeless chapters in the Bible. It's a horrific chapter. It's so depressing. But in the midst of it, God is saying, no, I'm going to bring an offspring, and that offspring is going to crush the head of Satan and is going to crush sin and all of its effects. And we will be rescued from the fall. This is the first proclamation of the gospel, is Genesis 3. God is already enacting a plan to save human beings. I think Adam believes what God's saying to Eve. Uh, Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of the living. Back in Genesis 2, he, he says she's a woman, and that's more of a general term for womankind. It was his way of saying, wow, you're like me. You're a human. You're an image bearer, but you're also different. So you're not, I'm not going to call you a man, so I'm going to call you a woman, right? We're similar. We're, we're human. We're, we're image bearers, but we are different. But that's more of a term for, for all of womankind, right? This is more of a term for Eve herself. And he calls her Eve. He calls her mother of all the living, And I think this is a way that Adam indicates, no, I believe that she is on team God. She is on team God. Uh, He could have named her mother of death. He could have named her snake lady. It's a lot of options. That's not what he does. He says, no, God's going to bring life from you. And not just physical babies, but he's going to bring about the, 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 the one who's going to crush sin. And Satan, our hero, Jesus. Palmer Robertson calls this the covenant of commencement. And he calls it that because it is the beginning of God's plan to bring humans back to paradise. So he may be calling you out of the bushes this morning. Maybe you're hiding in your pillow. And God's been calling you back. He's saying, hey, why why are you hiding from me? What, What is it that you've done? And you're blame shifting, you're, you're, you're denying, don't do that. See how merciful he is. He's coming towards you. He's moving close to you. And he's calling you out of hiding. And he's saying, no, 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 confess. Confess that sin so that he can give you mercy. You notice that, that he takes garments and, and he, he literally kills animals, takes their garments and clothes. He covers the shame and the guilt with those animals. And again, another, another thing pointing forward to what Christ does for us on the cross, that through his death, he, he covers us. He, 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 he takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. And so if he's calling you out this morning for the first time to put faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross, don't, don't hide. Don't put your head in the pillow and say that nothing's wrong, and you've done nothing wrong. Don't come out and talk to him. Pray to him. Admit these things and let him forgive you and give you new life. He's welcoming you back, back to the tree of life. You notice that in the garden, 
uh, he, he, he sets up a guard to keep them from coming back. It says he drove them, in verse 24, out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And you think, wow, God, that's, that's mean. Like, why, why didn't you let them continue to experience this eternal life? Well, you wouldn't want to be alive eternally if you were a fallen sinner. Would you like to live for millions of years as a fallen sinner? No. It was, it's a mercy, right? But they, they, they're not going to live forever in a fallen, lost paradise. He has made a plan for them to come back into the garden. But that requires that Jesus die for those that have broken covenant with him. Derek Kidner, who has written a, a little commentary on Genesis, which is an amazing, amazing commentary, he says um, this regarding Adam and Eve's choice to, to, to take the fruit and eat it. He says, so simple the act, so hard it's undoing. So he's saying that, that act was so simple, yet so many ramifications. And then he says, God will taste poverty and death before take and eat become verbs of salvation. And we're reminded of that invitation back into life every time we come to this table, are we not? We're, we're reminded that, that on the night on which Jesus is, is betrayed, the night before his death, he knows there's only going to be one path back to that life that we were made for. And it's through his death, right? He takes bread, he breaks it, he says, this, this is my body that's being broken. And he says, take, eat. Right? He's letting them know, you can come back in. Right? There's no other way back in. You, you would never be able to do enough good things or, or promise God you'll never eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. There's nothing you could do to come back except put faith in what Christ has done. And he's like, take, eat. And in the same way, he takes the cup. After he blesses the cup, he gives it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And again, so already in Genesis 3, we're seeing allusions to this new covenant. It's coming, this, 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 this path back into life. It's coming. And he says that he's, this, this blood is being shed for the forgiveness of sin. He knows it's the only way that, 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 that sin and its effects can be put back in its box and that we can be given life and it's not just for us as individuals, right? It's a covenant. It's a covenant community. So here we are as individuals. If we've placed faith in Jesus, we've been made new. We've been made alive. And we are also in community with one another, right? Others who have been made alive. So one of the things that should happen, when we, you see me up here instituting this bread and, and the cup, if you're a Christian, is that the, the next thing should be just like a, should be like a knee-jerk reaction. You just start to confess, that's, that's how you prepare for coming up here. And you're, you're confessing. Here's, Lord, here's ways that, that I, just like Eve, have stepped away, just like Adam, have stepped away from you as my center, and I've not, not believed that, that your ways were good, and I've, I've, I've gone these, these ways that are against you, and I confess that to you. Because you're not only my creator and my sustainer, you're my savior. 
and I want, I, want to, I want to return to you in this moment. Now, you're not doing that to get saved again. If you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're in Christ. Nothing's going to change that. But we fall so easily back into those old patterns, do we not? And so we, we need a time of confession and repentance to return to who we know is, is so good to us, our Creator, our Savior. Right? And so if you've received Christ by faith uh, before you are, you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you received him by faith right now while I've been talking, we would encourage you to come and be a part of the table, to hear the invitation, take and eat. This has been bought and paid for by Jesus. Come, come and, and, and remember what life has been given to you. And it's not just life now, it's life forever. You talk about life, that's a lot of life. It's going to sustain you for eternity. But if you're here this morning and you know, you're like, I, I'm not a Christian. I, I'm beginning to investigate this, explore this. I'm really glad you're here. But during this time, I'm going to ask that you just remain in your seat. And then uh, seek someone out after the service. Talk to, I'll be down front and be glad to talk. Or if there's someone that you know here who's a Christian that you could talk further with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all that you've done to bring us back.